Hi, and welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast. I'm Colleen Burns, licensed psychotherapist and founder of Restore Body Balance, where we combine psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. And I'm Nico Yutanis, co-producer of this podcast. Today's topic is on primary and secondary foods. Well, Nico, let's firstly discuss what exactly is primary food and the concept of secondary food. Secondary food is what we feed ourselves in the way of traditional nutrients. The concept in term of primary food and secondary food came out of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition when I studied there for my health coaching certificate in integrative counseling. It's actually a pinwheel with 12 colorful segments. And the concept is, this is your primary food that you use to quote unquote, feed and nourish yourself. So it's beyond the actual nutrients that we consume in terms of our body. So those of you listening may want to jot this down or just go right to Google and type in integrativenutrition.com slash circle of life. And you might want to follow along. It's an interactive exercise that will give you a clear visual picture of where your life potentially is thriving and also areas of your life that could use a little bit more work. So for our listeners that are not on the website, integrativenutrition.com slash circle of life, I'd like you to have a visual, a pinwheel, if you will. And there are 12 beautiful segments. They are your home environment, relationships, your social life, where you experience joy, spirituality, creativity, finances, career, education, health, physical activity, and home cooking. So again, at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, they considered these are primary foods. So when I say food, it's not food in a conventional way of the way we normally think about it. It's these 12 elements that work to feed and nourish ourselves. And each little slice of that circle and all elements of the body are interconnected. So it's about finding a balance to complete your circle. In the activity, you are to place a dot in each slice to indicate your level of satisfaction in that particular area. So a dot toward the center indicates dissatisfaction and a dot toward the periphery indicates satisfaction. So for example, If your social life is really abundant and you're satisfied, you'd want to look at where you would place your dot in terms of the circle. And you would go around and around and around until you would actually connect all the dots. So for example, right now, home environment might be a level of satisfaction for some people finding safety, and it might be a level of dissatisfaction for those of us feeling cooped up. Or let's say, for example, finances. We could be feeling stressed about finances or comfortable with our finances. And so as you connect the dot, you want it to be as circular or round as possible. Nico, do you have any questions? Because I think you might have participated in this. To what degree are these connected? 
Okay, so they're connected in that, let's say again, you want to put a dot in the circle and so you could have a perfectly round circle right what we'll get into in just a second is you'll begin to see like some circles are really round and some might be really jagged meaning that's the area that is not in the level of satisfaction that we would want to work on so for example maybe a relationship I know right now it's really tough for people that are either in a relationship and can't see their loved one or are seeking a relationship, but with our current climate of social distancing, can't really get to know somebody. So that would be an area of dissatisfaction that we might want to work on. Make sense? Mm -hmm. That's a very simple approach to a kind of complicated process with the connect the dots. I think it's a really easy way to approach it, and I loved that game when I was young. So what did you love about it? It was really fun to see the whole picture in the end. All of those little dots made something not completely clear or in my line of sight. I used to actually have a competition with my siblings to guess what the picture would end up being. And that applies to this activity too. Looking at each dot or element within the circle, I didn't really think about how my dots would reveal what I need to devote more time to. Exactly, Nico. So what did your dots reveal? What do you think? Was your circle a little round or a little wobbly? It was definitely a little wobbly. Definitely not a full circle with the current situation. But what does the circle as a whole represent? The circle represents imbalances in what we're calling, quote, primary foods, end quote. And it provides a startling point of reference for determining how you may wish to spend more time and energy to create balance and joy in your life. So the rounder and wider the circle, the healthier and happier you tend to be. And again, at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, we discovered how to help people round out their circle of life. Already being a licensed psychotherapist and a cognitive behaviorist, it was very exciting to actually be able to give somebody a wonderful tool, a visual tool, and they could basically look at areas of their life they wanted to improve on. I thought it was kind of cool, don't you think so, Nico? Yeah, it is. I wish it was interactive on the website. But for those of you listening, you can print it out and draw on it, or even take a picture of it on your phone and draw over it. That's what I did. Oh, that's funny, Nico. I did try it this morning just to make sure. Maybe I was using a different browser. Oh, that's strange. I was using Safari, and I know that that's not really supported by a lot of websites. So let me try it in Chrome and see if it works. I'm pulling it up right now. It actually does work on Chrome. So for those of you listening, you want to use Google Chrome and you just click inside of each dot the degree that you feel fits your circle. So after a compliant completes the circle, we can identify these imbalances and determine where to spend more time and energy to create balance. It works perfectly with my own integrative approach to health counseling. The Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN as I'll refer to it, also has the concept of crowding out food or crowding out in terms of our primary food and secondary food things that don't necessarily go with our 
thoughts, habits, and behaviors or goals of where we might want to see change. So for example, crowding out with secondary food, which is again, the food we actually put in our mouth in terms of nutrients, you might say, okay, well, instead of changing your lifestyle drastically and you want to get more greens in, so maybe add something to your plate as opposed to taking it away. Most of us see something like a diet or eating healthy as a restriction um, and bad, but IIN's idea of crowding out means, well, go ahead and throw some of those salad greens on your plate as opposed to maybe taking away the baked potato. And also it's the idea of starting to say yes to things that sometimes you would have said no to. And that's the same with primary food where you might see this in balance. So instead of saying, gosh, I wish I could exercise more, let's find a way to add something to your circle of life in terms of lifestyle change and movement. Oh yeah, I know that concept very well. I never put a name to it before, but if I find myself excessively snacking, I'll substitute the snacks for crunchy chickpeas or baked falafel. It fills me up and makes me feel nourished. But even beyond food, I remember reading something in the book The Wisdom of Sundays that really stuck with me. Shonda Rhimes had an excerpt on how she used to be overwhelmed when her kids would ask to play due to her extremely busy schedule. But she decided that every time they asked, she would say yes to playing with her children even when she's busy. Because it could be just as quick as five minutes, yet it meant a lot to her three-year-old who she realized doesn't have a concept of time. And that example is applicable to so many situations. Like what you just said, it's saying yes to things healthfully. That's a wonderful example, Nico. I'll have to look into that. And really, that's what health coaching is all about and counseling in general, especially when our listeners either visualize or go to that browser for IIN and they can do their own circle. You can discover what gives you meaning and nourishes you and of course, your level of satisfaction with them. During our current time, my clients often are saying right now they're just missing time with extended family and friends and touch. They want to hug their moms and dads and celebrate graduations and birthdays. So we can actually use this circle of life to course correct and even help elevate our moods by getting creative and finding new ways to round out that circle. It's also the concept of what we call bio-individuality. It's the one person's food is another person's poison. So like you said a minute ago, the same holds true for here. Marriage might be bliss for one person and well, not so much for another. It's also looking at that level of satisfaction and it's very individualistic. That's tough right now with social distancing, as those who feel lonely and isolated, or on the flip side of that, trapped inside with their significant others. I can attest to that for sure, Nico. Um, We talk about that, I know, often about things that start to grate on us, but ultimately, you know, it is about going back to this pinwheel and looking at the concept of hope. 
right? So maybe we cannot go on a date, but people are playing ultimate frisbee outside for first dates and going on a social distance walk. For example, I was at Walden Pond this week. I think I've mentioned my son is an avid swimmer and truly a fish out of water without his team and pool time. So we bought a wetsuit and hit the beach when it was safe to return. And now that the weather is warmer, he trains every day in the morning at Walden Pond. And so again, it's that idea of looking at where he had a dissatisfaction in his life and we course correct it. So even though he'd rather be sometimes sleeping as his friends are or online gaming, this is meaning more to him. So again, it also helped to round out his diet, his mood and his sleep. So that one little change rounded out that circle with identity and athletics. So course correction in one area can lead to improvement in another. That's right. At the Benson Henry Institute for Stress Management and Resiliency Training, as we call SMART, we said we treat the cause, not the symptom. So you write it down, you make changes small, and most importantly, manageable. And then you take a step in that direction. It doesn't have to be a leap. And again, we want to connect physical symptoms to their origin. So Advil could treat your headache, but you're treating the symptom, not the cause. What's causing the headache, right? We used to say you want to look for the quote root cause. And remember during our current times, you cannot get everything you want from one person. So we need to diversify our needs, just like one diversifies their portfolio when they're making investments. So maybe part of your life is dissatisfaction. Let's take spirituality. Maybe you can't go to a mosque, a synagogue or a church, but maybe they offer it online. And maybe if that's not satisfying to you, you might want to increase another area of your circle. And again, finding a little bit of that reappraisal. Yeah, as you said, the circle of life almost reminds me of a stock portfolio. And they say to diversify your portfolio and they show it as a circular pie chart. So that way you don't have all of your eggs in one basket. And if one stock tanks, the rest of them could theoretically still help you stay afloat. Right. And at Mass General Hospital at the Benton Henry Institute, we looked at it as a battery. So for those of you that can't conceptualize the pinwheel, which is the circle of life, we can also use the analogy of a battery. So at Benson Henry, we would say, okay, what charges your battery and then what drains it? Clients are often surprised. So let's give an example, both with the battery and the pinwheel. This is somebody I work with not too long ago, and she was a town selectman on a board. And initially she said that that charged her battery. But in the end, when we actually looked at it, it really came down to the fame and the notoriety that was exciting for her. But in the end, it was draining her battery. She was having to deal with the hassle of parking and the meetings tended to be at night after her long day at her day job. And then she usually ate something unhealthy like fast food on the way home, leading to indigestion, a poor night's sleep, and a regretful and cranky start to the next day. I call it an emotional hangover. 
So we reconfigured her circle a bit with some coaching. She began to meal prep, especially on the days she had to go to these meetings. And then because she loved home cooking, this offered her a light snack to attend before the meeting. And then she had something light and healthy and nourishing when she arrived home. She also looked at going to these meetings and thought, gosh, that's really taxing on me. Maybe I can ask to go bi-weekly to the meetings. They said that would be great. And if she could just call in on those days that she stayed home, it'd be a wonderful fit. So the next thing she knew, she was walking her dog during that time that she had to be on the phone, getting exercise, thus improving her sleep and decreasing her stress. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. One small change led to positive course corrections. I remember I used to get annoyed when I would be the one stuck with dog walking duty in my large family. Don't get me wrong, I love my dog so much, but the task or obligation of taking out the dog routinely when others were home and didn't feel the need to was angering me. But then I turned it into time to discover new music. I course corrected and actually started looking forward to it. Wonderful example, Nico. We tend to focus on the wrong things, right? Like we said, the brain is drawn toward bad news. And because, like we echoed last week, it's bad, the brain sees it as, oh gosh, I don't want to experience that again. We better remember it as to not repeat it. But then we just end up ruminating on it. See, our evolutionary brain was not perfect. And yet we see now where we can actually retrain it. Just like perseverating, we need to antidote the stress with good news. And this really is the idea behind this primary food and circle of life, right? We're looking at what can we be doing in terms of small changes, but we also give the brain a choice, that drop-down tab that we often mention. And then I say, give your brain a choice and you give it a chance. Don't forget, rumination, which is just running something over and over and over again in your head, is just our brain's way of trying to solve a problem. I know we've talked about this, Nico, often about how we like to keep the homeostasis in our body, right? So again, to look at another analogy, your primal brain sits right in the middle of your head and it does everything for you automatically in the way of keeping the homeostasis. So let's say you're hot, so you're body will perspire. And guess what? It didn't feel good. Now it's better. Or gosh, I'm cold. So we shiver and we put on a sweater. So I don't feel good. Make it better. Or you need calories for sustenance. Your stomach growls. We eat and we feel better. And it's that idea of craving satiation, craving satiation, craving satiation. It's just constantly modulating to keep the homeostasis. So it's the same here. So cerebrally, that brain above says, I'm anxious, make it better. I'm sad, make it better. And with the circle of life, we get all of this out of our heads and into our hearts and allowing us to make those changes to start to feel better, keep the homeostasis and round out our circle. So where do goals come in? Well, we need to look at our 
Are goals elusive or are they attainable ones? Again, we want to make small changes, just a step in that direction. Most of us are better at setting goals than we are actually attaining them. We need to look at what dampens our drive and takes over our very good intentions. Part of health coaching and counseling in this manner is that we need to set, again, realistic goals and intentions. Then, if we don't meet them and we often feel like we failed, we have to say, gosh, this really is not about me or willpower. And also recognizing what failure truly is. Again, it's a fear-based response. The unknown of anything is more dangerous to our brains and minds. It's why I wrote my book, Prescription for Change. It's sort of an algorithm in a way. So, you know, you heard that quote, I'm sure before, failing to plan is planning to fail, which is why we have the journal at the back of the book, Prescription for Change. And I might add that you designed so beautifully, Nico, along with the cover. Oh, thank you. And the book, I mean, I couldn't have done it without the book itself. And you did a great job of writing it. I think it's amazing. And if you guys want to check out the book, Prescription for Change, you can visit us on the web at www.restorebodybalance.com book. And the book process was fun. And I truly get the why in your mission. It truly is a prescription for change. Like running our now delayed Boston Marathon. I heard it is now becoming a virtual event, so shout out to those of you who are still sticking to your obligation because I'm sure running a marathon virtually is more of an uphill battle than even Heartbreak Hill. But with preparing to run a marathon, if you train better, you get better results. You don't just Forrest Gump it and run 26.2 miles or Mike Posner who walked across America twice. Those are anomalies. Instead. You build up, and as you get support and train smarter and with guidance, you follow a program. You go from 5 miles to 7 to 10 and so on. Then you're crossing the finish line. Great analogy, Nico. It's also about intention too, right? So going back to that, you know, I'm going to run a marathon and now I can't, but I can run it virtually. So intention is very important because it's your identity. So if you identify as an athlete, train like an athlete, and eat like an athlete, your identity is an athlete. I will have to say for my son, he went from eating takeout pizzas and junk food to the minute I got him back into a body of water, he was making smoothies and sleeping better and quite frankly, overall general better attitude. So again, that's your identity. Exactly. It's setting an intention that aligns with your identity that will, quote, feed you. Right, Nico. And let's go back to the analogy with food. And maybe somebody wants to lose weight. So that might be part of their circle in terms of where they're dissatisfied. So we go back to that crowding out concept of IIN. I remember you mentioned, I think you had a Beyond Breakfast from Dunkin' Donuts. Oh yeah, I did, and it was really good. And they even started selling the Beyond Sausage in the frozen aisle at the grocery stores. Was it satisfying? I can't even put it to words how satisfying it is. Well, see, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So 
When we look at change, we look at making a small change and the idea of crowding out, you might sub your bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit at Dunkin' Donuts with the Beyond Burger. Again, you still get that routine and kind of little hit of going to the Dunkin' Donuts. Maybe we throw in a piece of fruit for fun, but then over time, you might say, okay, for lunch, why don't you try getting the chicken Caesar salad to eat at lunch? And don't forget, You've got that creamy, yummy dressing and that crunchy, salty croutons, right? Yet again, we're just inching our way to you eating a salad, right? And then maybe you cut out the salad dressing on it. Maybe we put it on a side and inevitably you're down a few pounds. A dear friend of mine, Alexis Beck, quite the renowned nutritionist, actually showed me what five pounds looked like in physical five pounds of fat. It was alarming. And guess what? Five pounds, though, is also enough for your pants to fit differently. So then all of a sudden, the client feels better. That's creating drive. So they come back and they say, wow, that actually felt good. What else could I do? So then we say, well, maybe a swap out the egg wrap from Dunkin' Donuts and you go to Starbucks and have maybe some fruit and yogurt. And then maybe it's the Caesar salad again, but we hold the dressing and add some chicken or we have the dressing on the side. You see where I'm going here. Once somebody's down five or 10 pounds, all of a sudden they're starting to make a choice. That feels better. That feels better. And again, when we've echoed this in previous podcasts, the brain is drawn towards bad news, but it's always seeking a better life. And that's drive. I see where you're going with this. Then they are down 10 pounds and really now a pant size and they feel better and want to keep going because it's actually working. Yes. And not only is it working, it's creating drive, right? So we're not looking at restriction or deprivation. I remember Alexis Beck used to say, You don't want to restrict food and you don't want to use food. You just want to eat food. And as I say in my book, at the end of the day, if we're completely strung out, we don't want one more thing of deprivation by steaming green beans, right? So we want to make this not that much effort, but more rewarding and satisfying, thus empowering. And then the achievement becomes quite realistic and the effort becomes worthwhile. So as you said, it's your return on your investment, so to speak. Just like the example I said with the gal who is a selectman, we eliminated one stressor, making room for three changes. And boy, our famous Freud knew about drive, right? It's hard to create inertia. But when it comes from the inside out, then we have momentum. And you're not pushing the boulder up the hill, you're rolling it down. What about setbacks or if the change didn't work? It sometimes can be a slow process where changes aren't immediate and you don't get the instant gratification of results. Yeah, your mind is constantly telling you to stay away from change, like we said. And that something is in the form of a hurdle or a stop sign, right? So stranger danger. So we need to start looking at it a little bit different. I like to say, hey, failure is not failure. It's just a detour. And then we don't see that hurdle or the stop sign, right? And think about what it feels like 
to actually have a detour. And I'll say this to people all the time. We take Pavlov and the dog, our wonderful habituated brain. So the first time you're going to work and you see those orange construction signs that say detour, you might go in that stress-based response, feel a little stressed, you're following the signs only, hoping to get back to Main Street so you can get back to work. But then the next day, you're a little calmed down because you know it's a detour, but you eventually made your way back to Main Street and you got to work on time. But by the fourth or fifth day, you're just cued stimulus response. I take a left at the tree, a right at the gas station, go around the rotary and I'm back on Main Street. So thank you, Pavlov. Sometimes that elusive goal or object gets the better of me, and I binge watch YouTube or Netflix, or even my most recent go-to, Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's a form of procrastination. Right, Nico, and you know, this is where I say to people, you need to give yourself permission to be human. Gentle loving kindness, right? Maybe you need it to recharge. Recent research found that People who tend to procrastinate are feeling negative emotions, such as sadness, anxiety, and the fear of failure. So doing something enjoyable antidotes that stress. And then after, you remind yourself of your goal when you're rested and recharged. What about the catastrophizing? Sometimes we get overwhelmed that it won't be worth it in the end. Right, been there, done that. But again, as a health coach and integrative health counselor, I give you permission to try and fail, right? What's the worst that could happen? So maybe the example with, you know, my son is we get the wetsuit, but we can't go to the beach. And then maybe it's the selectman that maybe she didn't actually have time to food prep or the selectman council said, nope, you physically have to be here. We problem solve and we get rid of those self-limiting mindsets, right? We need to go back to that idea of mindfulness and identity, picturing ourselves winning and achieving that goal. How do we course correct? That's your identity chapter in your book. It's all coming together now, full circle, so to speak. (laughs) Yes, good one, Nico. And being aware of your inner critic is so important here. Don't forget that he or she has been there for a very long time, maybe even since high school or grade school. So I quote Winston Churchill here, keep calm, carry on. We have to stay calm to make change and we can change at any age. Just remember that the brain is simply just the predictor and the habituator. It wants to be able to predict what is happening in the future and then it can act accordingly even when it's habituating or repeating the bad, right? So once you make a significant change, the brain panics because it no longer knows how it needs to respond. The predictability is no longer there, which is why we go very slow and we add an intention. Also, by making this new identity available to the brain, right? But that's going back to another whole chapter in my book. So we can save that for another podcast, Nico. It sounds like a great podcast episode. So whether it's a large change like leaving an unsatisfactory job or relationship, 
or even deciding to post that picture on Instagram or video on YouTube that you held back on because of fear of judgment or your inner critic. I sometimes too succumb to that feeling, but I tell myself, judgment happens whether you stand still or keep moving. I'm also sure people are so scared about the changes in our current climate because it is truly the unknown. It is the unknown, and I need to just give you huge credit right now, Nico, because for years you've been asking me to do a podcast and YouTube channel, and we're finally doing it. So yes, change is super scary. And right now with our current climate, you're right. We have no idea what's ahead of us, and there's no predictability. So it's that concept that I say being comfortable, being uncomfortable, because all of this discomfort is temporary until we make it the new norm and thus familiar. Either adding a salad to your meal or taking a walk with your dog, like you mentioned. Initially, things are uncomfortable, but the more we do them and reappraise them, they become comfortable and thus familiar and then the brain doesn't fear them. Exactly. Thank you, Colleen. It looks like we have once again learned a great deal today. To sum up, we learned the need to round out our circle of life to live a more fulfilling life. We learned to realize that it is possible to change our behaviors, to be forgiving and not give up when we feel that we've failed and use the term detour instead and be prepared in advance to counter those self-limiting thoughts or inner critic when we feel frustrated and discouraged. And to engage in activity that boosts faith in yourself, align your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors with goals, and perhaps look to have support from someone like yourself, Colleen, or a health coach as a guide on the side. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Restore Body Balance podcast. If you want to hear more from us with tips and tricks combining psychology, neurology, and biology, click the subscribe button. And also visit the YouTube channel or visit us on the web at www.RestoreBodyBalance.com.